Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I'm your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. My ongoing mission on planet Earth, to search for signs of intelligence and to encourage its spread. In a Season 1 podcast, I argued that choosing a problem-solving approach to a challenge, as opposed to a trade-off approach, will inevitably lead to suboptimal outcomes. For reasons that are well understood, reasons we will get to later. As it clearly has done in Earth's recent challenge from the COVID-19 virus. In America, the responses of the federal government and local governments, which were aimed at solving the problem, have damaged the economy deeply, in ways that are still unfolding and that did not have to happen. And there is a hangover of rules in place, put there by people who can't seem to get enough of exercising authority. Rules that are ever-changing, many of which never did make much sense and make even less sense now. It has even come to light that the federal authorities deliberately prevaricated, because these brilliant social engineers had decided that the public would respond more favorably to a fabrication than to the truth. I wonder if it ever even occurred to them that the next pronouncements, whatever their veracity, would be met with increased skepticism, now that everyone knows they had intentionally lied the last time around. In China, the government has used its limitless authority to solve the problem by drastic interventions in the form of quarantines, family separations, and blanket lockdowns which have proven so costly in terms of economic damage and social turmoil that they can no longer be sustained. Coupled with the decision to use only vaccines that were manufactured in China and which are inferior to those they could have imported, the Chinese are now facing a much larger and growing problem than they initially faced, and they are now facing it with fewer resources. It is not difficult to see why this is so if you scrutinize the methods that would be employed in the trade-off approach. In the trade-off approach to any challenge, you begin by acknowledging that the challenge du jour is not the only challenge facing humanity. This realization leads a reasoning person to a further realization that resources are always scarce, and to scrutinize the costs of a particular course of action in terms of opportunities lost to protect and further other goals and to determine the optimal course of action based on a comparison of values and costs. In the problem-solving approach, the indiscriminate mandates that are employed when you focus your tunnel vision on just one challenge frequently end up costing more than they are worth. Which brings us to the challenge of climate change on planet Earth. We Vulcans are, in general, uninterested in weighing in on your disputes over policy, with all the partisan squabbling and jockeying for position that takes place. We have better things to do than to offer opinions about the arrangements of your deck chairs. Deck chairs are one thing, icebergs are another matter entirely. And climate change is an iceberg. There are a couple of things earthlings need to understand about climate change. First, 
it is undeniably true that climate change is happening on planet Earth, and the evidence is substantial that increased concentrations of carbon dioxide and methane in Earth's atmosphere caused by human activity are significant contributing factors. Second, the best evidence at this time leads to the conclusion that although climate change on planet Earth will present challenges, it is not likely to lead to catastrophe. Many of those who are crying catastrophe seem to be doing so because they believe that exaggerating the challenge is the best way to motivate people. No doubt some of them actually believe it. Third, if earthlings respond to the challenge of climate change by adopting a problem-solving approach, the results of your efforts will be suboptimal, to put it mildly. There is no chance that the problem will be solved, and the actions everyone is proposing in an attempt at a solution will very likely create a net loss to humanity because of damage to your capacity to produce efficiently. Resources that might be employed to meet the challenge will be squandered or never materialize in the first place because the production and distribution of resources will be straightjacketed by top-down regulation. And as it inevitably becomes clear that economic damage is becoming extensive, it is highly likely that many countries which had made privileges, pledges to take mitigative actions will decide that the cost to them of doing so is greater than the benefit to them and will drop out of any accords. Fourth, you need to approach the problem of pollution in general as an externality and one that has only recently become important enough to warrant attention. Let me refer you again to economist Ronald Coase's hugely influential 1960 article, The Problem of Social Costs, and to economist Harold Demsett's 1967 article, Towards the Theory of Property Rights, both of which our contributing editor, editor Mohalo Kumela discussed in a recent installment. It is fruitless to think of polluters as enemies of the people or as sinners who must be punished, even though doing so might provide you with some visceral, short-lived satisfaction. These sinners and enemies are people just like you, most of them with intentions as good as yours, who simply respond, more or less rationally, to the incentives they face under the reg regimes in which they operate. It is the incentives that need to be reformed. If earthlings are serious about adapting to the challenge of climate change, the only path forward that offers hope of doing so efficiently or even effectively is to harness market processes and pricing so that decision-making will be properly incentivized and the trade-offs will be made in a decentralized manner by people who collectively have far more information than any central authority. One method involving market processes, which is already being tried, is to establish a market for tradable pollution rights. This approach is promising, although it is fraught with difficulties, the chief one so far being how to establish a price that will be effective.
There is a large and growing body of thought which deserves to be more influential about how assignment of property rights, which is the natural way of dealing with evolving externalities, could be employed to deal with the challenge. Another proposal that would work along similar principles would be to impose a carbon tax. Again, this approach would allow for decentralized and efficient decision-making that would efficiently take trade-offs into account. Sadly, most people within what we might call the climate movement have tagged the carbon tax proposal as a non-starter, claiming that the voters would never accept it. That might be true if it were just to become an additional tax rather than an instead tax. Coupling a carbon tax with something like the repeal of the income tax, for which a strong argument can be made in any case, might win over voters. One wonders whether one strong reason for dismissing a carbon tax proposal might be that so many people in the movement, the ones who are saying the voters won't wear it, are actually themselves unwilling to adopt any decentralized, market-oriented approach because doing so would mean that no one would any longer need them to exercise authority and administer regulations. They are perhaps reluctant to give up command. It seems there is some truth to the somewhat cynical observation about climate activists that many of them are watermelons, green on the outside and red on the inside. Many of those in the movement also typically have a knee-jerk negative reaction to the word market because they subscribe to the notion that markets are controlled by someone and that someone is a rich and powerful oligarchy. This belief is based on, e on an egregious and deeply harmful ekneronki, that is, ignorance spelled backwards in case you do not remember the idea that the pervasive order we observe around us is evidence that someone is in charge, even though many people regard that proposition as obvious, is simply incorrect. Earlier installments of these podcasts have made the case that order emerges spontaneously in response to the energy flowing through the system in interaction with simple local rules. And what happens when DEI or some other fashionable consideration, you know, abortion, anti-abortion, national greatness, etc., is added to the mix. Whatever the merits of these considerations might be, they will certainly dilute the effort of dealing with the challenge of climate change. I invite you to have a listen to the next installment. Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you are so inclined. You may contact me by sending an email to Senior Contributing Editor Prego Denada, pregodenada at gmail.com. Live long and prosper. <laughs>